My topic for today is to demonstrate that the Bible gives us the scriptural blueprints for every area of life, including such things as logic and mathematics and geometry. And I mentioned those three as examples that the reformers had far more confidence in the sufficiency of scripture than most modern Christians do. For example, uh, John Wycliffe, the early reformer said, all law, all philosophy, all ethics are in scripture in Holy Scripture is all truth. Now, you might be skeptical that that genius knew what he was talking about, but I have discovered the literal truth of this man's words, and it is so important in opposing modern skepticism. Pagans today cannot demonstrate the truthfulness of any of the axioms that start as the foundation for all of the disciplines in the university. And so what you're finding is skepticism has laid hold of the entire university, even in areas of mathematics. Recently, many woke mathematicians have begun writing that two plus two does not always have to equal four. Now, we believe it always has to equal four because all of the axioms of mathematics are revealed to us by God uh, in the Bible. It is there to be dug out for not just mathematics, all the other areas of life. Martin Luther said that the Bible was sufficient for approving, judging, and illuminating all the statements of all men. Therefore, nothing except the divine words are to be the first principles or axioms for Christians. All human words are conclusions drawn from them and must be brought back to the scriptures and approved by them. Now, neither one of those reformers was saying that the Bible is a systematic textbook for uh, various disciplines. We have to make those textbooks. But instead, they were saying that the starting axioms for all of life are to be found in the Bible. And to get those axioms, you need to take account of every word of the Bible. Even the ceremonial law, by which we are no longer ethically bound, still contains principles that we can live by. For example, the temple measurements contain all of the elements of geometry and many of the axioms of mathematics and set theory. It provides the basis for very practical living, a basis that postmodern man no longer has. But rather than quoting various theologians uh, from the, the Reformation, I want to use Christ's own words in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4 to set the contours for this critically important topic. In Matthew 4, 4, Jesus was resisting the devil who was tempting him to satisfy his hunger after fasting for 40 days by turning stones into bread. And Jesus resists him by quoting Deuteronomy 8 verse 3. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, was Jesus taking Deuteronomy 8 out of context? Absolutely not. I don't have the time to demonstrate this, but the connection between the two passages is very, very strong. Just as Jesus was tested in the wilderness, Israel had been tested in the wilderness. Both passages deal with a nation that had not learned how to trust God, and both passages deal with a leader who was pointing people's eyes to dependence upon God, and it was after a period of fasting. 
Uh, both passages call us to faith, prayer, dependence on God, humility before God, and other issues I won't get into this morning. Both passages deal with how easy it is for Satan to suck us away from dependence upon God into independent thinking, and both passages deal with the fact that the Bible was intended by God to guide our thinking into every facet of life. And I want to apply each word of Matthew 4 verse 4 to this critical topic. The first word is but, and that immediately indicates that Jesus was contradicting the devil. He always contradicted and opposed all independent thinking, and he showed that there can be no neutrality. I have met theological apostates who are quite willing for you to say uh, what you think to be true, and their attitude is, hey, if you want to believe that, that's just fine, that's true, and that's good for you, but it's not true and good for me. But they get very angry when you say, but what you are holding to is false. It's that but that gives antithesis, and it's antithesis that gives power to penetrate culture. Years ago, Francis Schaeffer was warning the evangelical church that they would lose the culture battles unless they started maintaining antithesis. Antithesis is the sharp distinction between truth and falsehood, uh, between A and non-A, right and wrong, light and darkness. And we have lost the battle because postmodern thinking has infected the church. Uh, postmodernism rejects antithesis. Schaefer pointed out that you have not truly and fully defended the truth if you only state what is true. You must also deny the opposite, the truth of the opposite. You must oppose falsehood. He said this, to the extent that anyone gives up the mentality of antithesis, he has moved over to the other side, even if he still tries to defend orthodoxy or evangelicalism. That, my friends, is an indictment of almost the entire evangelical church of today. Uh, that word, heresy, has ironically now become heresy. Church discipline is castigated. Intolerance is ironically no longer tolerated. And education is no longer taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Okay, it is simply filling the head with facts that they naively think are neutral or brute facts. The contrastive militaristic but of Christ's antithesis must reemerge in every area of our thinking. Now, the second thing to notice in Matthew 4 is that Jesus had an answer to every one of Satan's temptations. Verse 4 says, but he answered and said. He had an answer. And it is critical that the church learn to find answers from God's word so that we know that mathematics is true. We need to have answers for how we know that there is truth in statistics and linguistics and logic and hermeneutics and other disciplines that have been completely devastated by modern critical thinking. Again, people do not have confidence. They have no foundation like we do, and we need to communicate these foundations to our children. True education is defined by Deuteronomy 6 as applying the Bible to everything that we do when we sit, lie down, rise up, and walk by the way. Sending our children to the Canaanite government schools will never achieve this. There must be a reformation of our education so that our children and our college-age students are given an answer from the Bible not simply an opinion from man that may or may not be true. 
Now, one of my organizations, uh, Biblical Blueprints, is working with scholars from around the world on a massive project of applying the Bible to 45 disciplines of the university. And the first level of this project is simply laying out all of the axioms for all of the disciplines, and they're there. They're in the Bible. Uh, the axioms for music, math, geometry, set theory, statistics, linguistics, and other disciplines. Not secular answers, but biblical answers. And that's the third thing that I want you to notice from our text. Jesus reasoned from the objective written revelation of the Bible. He didn't answer based on hunches or even a direct pipeline from heaven. As our model, he went to the Bible. Matthew 4, 4 says, but he answered and said, it is written. While the Pharisees and the scribes were constantly saying, you have heard it said, or Rabbi so-and-so said, or this church father said, now Jesus bypassed the, the wisdom of man and he said, it is written. Jesus reasoned from the Bible, and if you are not convinced of the sufficiency of the scripture for all disciplines, you will not even try to find a biblical answer. The next word in the sentence is the word man. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Notice that it doesn't say Israel. No, the word man indicates that this is a paradigm that goes way beyond the borders of ancient Israel, and it includes us, it includes all mankind. And that is so important to understand. In all of the debates over God's case laws, people get distracted into trying to figure out, you know, which laws were moral laws that apply to all mankind, which ones were ceremonial laws that only applied to Israel. And that is an important debate to figure out. We do need to understand that we are not uh, obligated to keep the moral, the, the ceremonial laws. And let, let me repeat that because I may be misconstrued in this lecture. The ceremonial law is not morally binding upon us. But let me tell you something. Ethics is only one small part of life. We shouldn't think that because the ceremonial laws are no longer ethically binding that they are unimportant for living. Those ceremonial laws are absolutely packed with information for living. For example, uh, the ceremonial law gives us principles by which we can easily reject false theories. Uh, and there are false theories on even simple things like eating, diets. Uh, one fad diet says you're harming your body if you ever eat meat. But think about it. Would God have commanded the ancient Jews to eat meat on the Passover day if it was bad for you? And the same logic could you be used to demonstrate the falsity of fad diets that forbid salt or milk or honey or grains, etc. It is those fad diets that have imposed a new uh, legalism, and even though we're not under the ceremonial law, the principles found there can free us. As another example, several of the axioms of mathematics are found in the ceremonial law. Without the ceremonial law, we would not have a sufficient foundation for mathematics. And if you like classical geometry, you will have a heyday studying all of the furniture and the measurements in the tabernacle and the temple. Don't think that God intended to bore us to tears with irrelevant details when he described in great detail the number and the shape of the rings and the clasps on every piece of tapestry and its length and width and angles and how it was held up, why would he include all of those details if they were not relevant for us? 
Sir Isaac Newton loved those details, and he said it was the Bible itself that gave him many insights for his discoveries. I read with fascination his uh, discussions of the biblical cubic, cubit and his relationship of the measurements and the geometry of the temple to the circumference and the diameter of the earth. That is just fascinating. Uh, he wasn't even an Orthodox Christian, but he had far more confidence in the wisdom of the Bible than most Bible-believing Christians today do. It's really sad. We desperately need another Reformation. But hopefully, you get the point on how every word of Scripture is something we can live by, even the ceremonial laws that we are not bound by. Don't just think in terms of ethics. Realize that without the ceremonial law, we do not have the foundations for geometry. Uh, we must live by even the ceremonial laws in some sense of the term live, or we are contradicting Christ's words in Matthew 4, verse 4. The Bible is not just for Israel. It is for mankind, every word of it. It gives wisdom for living. Now, the next phrase indicates that the Bible is not a replacement for doing dominion, but it's the foundation for living. Now, Jesus did not say, man shall not live by bread alone, but only by the word of God. I mean, that would make us ivory tower theologians who study the Bible but never eat. Well, we'd starve to death, wouldn't we? Instead, Jesus wanted us to live by the scriptures so that we know how to eat, drink, and do everything to the glory of God. There is dominion work that needs to be done, but every bit of our dominion must be held captive to the scripture. The moment we exclude from the scripture things like rocks or bread or any other area of life, we have entered into the realm of humanism and independence. And that really was the, 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 the temptation for Adam and Eve. Their attitude was basically, no, I'm going to investigate for myself rather than listening to the Lord. I'll be like a scientist and I will figure out whether this tree is good to eat from. And so Jesus was making exactly the same point that Deuteronomy 8 was. God tests us as to whether we will handle stones, food, and the rest of life by living according to his word, or whether we will take dominion independently of God's will. The next word indicates that every word of scripture is important. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so this is a call to live by the whole Bible, not just by the New Testament. It is a call to live by every word of Holy Scripture. I remember the first time that I uh, began to realize that the church is still in the infancy stage of applying Scripture to life. I was at college furiously taking notes as my genius math professor, Dr. J.C. Keister, was just laying out the axioms of mathematics on the board using just ordinary exegesis. And I remember he was demonstrating the distributive law of addition as revealed by God. Uh, distributive law of addition is that uh, A times the quantity B plus C equals AB plus AC. Now, the passages that demonstrate this were kind of boring passages that I had read numerous times, and yet I had never seen those mathematical principles there because I was not looking for those kinds of things to be there. It was not until he pointed it out that it's just obvious. I could see it right in front of me. My limited vision clouded my interpretation. Now, here's the point. Our minds tend to filter out all kinds of things. Uh, my wife knows this uh, with me. If I am trying to find a book 
Uh, it may be right there in front of me, but because I think the book is red and it's actually blue, my mind is filtering out <laughs> the, the book that really is what I am looking for. And we tend to do this with the, the scriptures because we don't expect the Bible to speak to various disciplines. We don't look for it to speak and our mind filters out when it does speak. Uh, we need to once again be confident that every word of scripture is important for a comprehensive Christian worldview. Now, Matthew 4 verse 4 goes on by speaking of every word. Every word indicates that Christianity is not simply about feelings, experiences, relationship, relaxation, and work. All of those things are governed by something that is far more foundational, by words, or what Francis Schaeffer spoke of as propositional truth. Uh, words are important to God, and an understanding of propositional truth is critical to healthy living. We live in an age when people don't have a lot of appreciation for that, but we will never develop a mature Christianity until we become people of the book, until we see sola scriptura as the defining characteristic of Christianity, and until we use logical thinking to wrestle with the text. The eighth feature of this paradigm is that these words are a revelation from God himself. It speaks of every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What we have in our hands in this Bible corresponds exactly to what proceeded from God's mouth. Now, apostate theologians claim the exact opposite. They hold to the equivocal view of knowledge, which says that a word or a sentence in my mind does not correspond in meaning to the meaning that's in your mind with that word or that sentence. They say the same is true with God, and that leads to skepticism. There is no revelation happening from God to us through the Bible unless there is some univocal correspondence that is there, some uh, of the same meaning. So here's the point. There is objective meaning to the words of Scripture. And since it is a revelation, we can truly understand it. This principle is so important for opposing modern critical thinking. But if the point I just talked about is true, then that means that the Bible has all the authority of God himself. The Bible is infallible and inerrant because God is infallible and he never makes any mistakes. Matthew 4.4 speaks of every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. When scripture speaks, it is God himself speaking to you. And since God created all things and knows all things, his revelation cannot be mistaken. We can have the utmost confidence in what it says. And as Van Til uh, pointed out, it speaks to all of life. I have an entire shelf of books in my library uh, that show the, the Bible's sufficiency for developing an entire system of economics. Another shelf of books that shows its sufficiency for counseling. Uh, uh, other books that show sufficiency for politics. But there are many disciplines that still need to be mined out of the scripture. Biblical Blueprints is seeking to do this, and uh, we are praying for a, a, another modern reformation where the sufficiency of Scripture will once again be believed. Uh, do we have any modern reformers who are willing to believe with Wycliffe that in Holy Scripture is all truth? Now, Jesus did not say to the Father, your word is true. True is different than truth. 
Your word is true would imply there's an outside standard by which the truth of the scripture is judged. Well, that would make that outside standard higher than the scripture. But there is no higher standard than the Bible. And so Jesus said, your word is truth. This means that the Bible is the judge of all truth claims by others. It is the source of truth, the judge of truth, the standard of truth, and the touchstone to which we should go. As Martin Luther said, the Bible is in itself most certain, most easily understood, most plain, is its own interpreter, approving, judging, and illuminating all the statements of all men. Therefore, nothing except the divine words are to be the first principles for Christians. All human words are conclusions drawn from them and must be brought back to them and approved by them. And I say, Amen. May the Lord restore a confidence in the sufficiency of Scripture. God bless you.